0: Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardich, ready to come to you with some Week 5 goodness. About to be halfway through this glorious league, four more games on the horizon actually coming off a pretty good week, everyone. You know me. I'm not sitting here trying to pat myself on the back every chance I get, but come on, went 4-0 against the spread last week. That feels good. Also had some of the good plays. I was happy we hit on Jonathan Adams and Trey Walker as two of the top three recommended wide receivers. Also were able to avoid some pitfalls there with the fade. So, you know, Reggie Corbin's going to keep doing his thing on 10 or 13 carries per game. Uh, I'm sure I'll have some more thoughts on that later in the episode, but happy with, uh, you know, some of the takeaways we've been able to have here lately, and let's freaking make some more quit living in the damn pasty and so today's uh, agenda i want to go through 10 just pretty cool stats i found uh pretty quickly about some of the different teams in this league have a lot of cool stuff on the pff back end would be a shame if i didn't share it with you all power rankings best dfs plays and finally some best bets before we get out of here usually good and then usually done with this in a good 30 minutes so again thank you all for tuning in Let's have a great podcast. Why the hell not? Want to start off and note that you can look at all these stats as well as what I'm showing on the screen and a handy dandy article on pff.com released every week on Thursday. I got your back. But with all that in mind, let's go through 10 rather crazy stats that have emerged through the first four weeks of action, starting with the Philadelphia Stars have a league high 72.7% pass play rate and situation neutral. um, Just, you know place so the stallions maulers breakers like these guys are teams two through four aren't even at 60%. So to see the stars literally having a 14.5% increase on the pass play rate over these guys, it's why I think some of these wide receivers, Jordan Suo, DeAndre Overton, everyone involved in that passing game, you can continue to get behind them in DFS because they just have, you know, the number three wide receiver for Philadelphia is just going to be running more routes and even number one wide receiver for the New Jersey Generals who are at just a 44.6% pass play rate. Michigan Panthers, only other team under 50%. Also on note that the New Orleans Breakers have created an explosive pass play on a league best 18 point one percent on their dropbacks, no other USFL team even over 14 percent. So this is one of the reasons why I've you know been adamant that Kyle Sloter has been the best quarterback in the USFL even over Brian Scott, who was very good in his own right before he got injured, but what Sloter has been able to do throughout this league just one big play after another, Jonathan Adams, Johnny Dixon, Taiwan Taylor, Sean Poindexter. Every single wide receiver in this offense is putting up big numbers, and Sloter is just about ready to lap the league in terms of what he's doing through the air. So, Kyle Sloter coming in was our best bet at just having a great from the pocket, you know, passer in this league. I think he's uh, managed to achieve that with flying colors and while stunning, a very nice tinted black visor, if I do add. Number three, the Pittsburgh Maulers have been pressured on a league low 14.4% of their dropbacks. Basically, the only, you know, truly redeemable quality of this offense. But hey, good job on Kirby Wilson and company for keeping their quarterback upright. Next best offensive lines are the Birmingham Stallions and the Philadelphia Stars. Only offenses allowing a pressure rate of over 40%. New Jersey Generals and the Houston Gamblers. Not too high in Houston. Uh, we'll get to more of that in a bit. Speaking of New Jersey Generals this is what's interesting again they're the league's most run heavy offense but they're allowing a lot of pressure as we know they're rotating luis perez and deandre johnson on a weekly basis but when they do pass they're doing a lot of things right they are they have the lowest drop rate in the league at 2.1 they're averaging the most yards after the catch per completion at seven and a half uh yards after the catch per completion and they also employ the highest play action rate at 32.2 percent. so they're not dropping the ball they're picking up a lot of yards after the catch and they're you know causing a lot of problems for defenses with a high play action rate, which you would think they have to respect more than pretty much any other offense in the league because of how much they run the ball in the first place. So, you know, with New Jersey, we've seen this. Like, go look at DeAndre Johnson's touchdown to Alonzo Moore on, I believe, the second drive of last week. 60 yards, and the cornerback who was supposed to be guarding Alonzo Moore just bit up like 10 yards on the run fake. They were trying to play man coverage. Nobody was there. So DeAndre Johnson, no, he doesn't have to face as tough of coverages as other quarterbacks because of what he rings to the table with his legs that has allowed the generals to still employ a pretty damn good passing offense despite not throwing the ball a whole lot another interesting thing they do the generals and stallions are running screens on nearly a quarter of their dropbacks generals at 23 and percent stallions at 23.2 percent like hey usfl coaches hit me up because if you want some of these stats and you can just game plan against these freaking teams again nearly a quarter of your dropbacks you're running a screen pass we've all played madden NCA. i love a good screen as much as the next guy but my god that is a ridiculous rate none of the usfl's other 16s have approached even a 15 percent screen rate so thirdly long for the generals or stallions be ready to see that running back leaking out of the backfield final note on the generals they're doing their thing on the ground like they are running the ball a lot but we've talked about this in some of the review shows like the idea that you need to just pass the shit out of the ball in order to be a good team in the year 2022 and more so applies to the nfl where we have the luxury of you know having the top players in the world and they can enable such high passing efficiency when you have that on the table that's what makes running the ball uh, less good but when you have these kind of differences in defenses versus offense the rushing attacks can be just so freaking lethal that yeah it does make sense to run the ball more than you pass it particularly when you have a team like the generals doing as well as they are throwing the ball and running the ball league high 2.1 yards before contact per rush Uh, one of the things i do during the nfl season my mismatch manifesto article i always look at this yards before contact per rush that And what I've noticed over the years is you always see kind of the same teams at the top, the Ravens, um, the Bills, having Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, the Eagles and Jalen Hurts there, the Cardinals and Kylo Murray. Having that quarterback there just makes life so tough on the defense. I mean, look at any given read option, just when you force that defender to make up their mind leads to a lot of big holes. And we've seen DeAndre Johnson, Darius Victor, Trey Williams, how even Javante Turbin take advantage of that all season long four defensive stats before we move on to power rankings, one note that the Houston Gamblers and the Tampa Bay Bandits top two secondaries in terms of contested catch percentage at over 17% each. The worst one in this group has been the Birmingham Stallions. So that's what's interesting about Birmingham. They've been blitzing more than anyone, which we'll get to, they've been pressuring more than anyone, which we'll get to, but they haven't quite been making life all that tough on the receiver. So if a team can just contain that pass rush for a week, I'm not so sure the Stallions necessarily have the bodies in the back end of their defense to make a bunch of money noise. Number eight stallions mentioned this though have pressure quarterbacks. It doesn't matter if uh, how good the coverage is when you're pressuring quarterbacks on 48% of their dropbacks. Every other dropback stallions have been managing to get a pressure on the opposition. Just an absolutely wild number. Houston at 35%, New Orleans 34%, Pittsburgh 33%. Only other defenses with a pressure rate right north of 30%. Only two teams under 20% are Tampa Bay Bandits and Michigan Panthers. Just knock to the quarterback. Would note that Birmingham is are sending a. A lot of extra bodies to get to the quarterback. Forty-two percent blitz rate. Bandits not too far behind in my forty and a half percent. Problem is, the bandits are pressuring the opposing quarterback on under twenty percent of their dropbacks, whereas when the stallions are blitzing, like again, they are getting there almost all the time. So, uh general stand out actually as the team that has been blitzing the least in the USFL thus far. Final stat, stars have allowed a league-high 2.1 yards before contact per carry. Shout-out to the Bandits, Generals, and Panthers for working as the only run defenses allowing less than one yard before contact per rush. So I tweet out those stats, too. Catch me at iHeartRates if you're interested. But, yeah, just wanted to put some, you know, extra stats in the good old uh, database while we move on. Again, try to get a better grip on where all these teams stand after half a season's worth of action. So with that said, let's get to the USFL Week 5 official PFF power rankings, because I'm the only one at this company that wants to talk about this league, so I am going to say official PFF. Uh, why the hell not, everyone, right? So, number one, got to be the undefeated Birmingham Stallions, but again, like, if you look at the PFF offensive grade, they are a below average unit overall. Like, this pass rush is so good. I think it is the single most lethal positional group in the entire USFL, this Birmingham Stallions pass rush. With that said, if a team can just find a way to hit a couple big plays, you know, in the first Birmingham out of their comfort zone actually playing in a shootout that's where we could see things become problematic so you put in the potential looming quarterback battle between jamar smith and alex McGo. i do worry if birmingham will be a much better first half team the second half team but right now undefeated impossible to put them anywhere else but at the top Number two, your 3-1 and one New Orleans Breakers. Again, Kyle Sloter just can't say enough good things about what he's been able to do. And the Breakers on defense, higher PFF team defensive grade than the Stallions, who are number two. So with Sloater, I do think the best version of the Breakers beats the best, best version of the Stallions. Obviously, didn't see the best version of Sloter the first time these teams faced off. Number three, your 3-1 and one New Jersey Generals. It's unconventional, and I love this quote. I got it from, uh, um, well, first of all, GM Street's Mike Lombardi has said it on his podcast over the years. I know he's got a different podcast now, but I used to listen to GM Street. But anyway, great quote from Mark Twain back in a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, 1889, for those looking at home. But here's the quote. The best swordsman in the world doesn't need to fear the second best swordsman in the world. No, the person for him to be afraid of is some ignorant antagonist who has never had a sword in his hand before. He doesn't do the thing he ought to basically the unconventional swordsman is the one that's going to co- cause problems for someone that good and that's what the generals are they are really unconventional they have the leagues most run heavy offense they're running a ton of screens a ton of play action and they have a quarterback rotation with two guys with vastly different skill sets so from one play to the next so you can see something completely different on uh, this offense and we have seen enough guys with Victor Turpin Trey Williams that they have some playmakers out there wants to get Jamal Moore back in the picture that could really be the missing ingredient for this offense so I do think it's a Tier drop off between the Breakers and the Stallions down to the Generals. Uh, with that said, the way they are playing on offense, even if it's not necessarily the most efficient thing in the world, it's different enough where for a 60 minute sample size, I think the Generals are capable of taking down anyone in the league. Tier drop off from them to our two and two squads, Tampa Bay Bandits, two and two. But at the same time, Jordan Tiamu, look, they haven't taken the USFO by storm or anything, but we have seen stretches even last week in that 16 10 loss. You know, before the half, Tiamu, one of the best throws of the season, rolling out to his right, finding his guy in the back of the end zone. Uh, I just think that, again, with Tiamu, just. Based on the rest of these quarterbacks we're about to talk about, I think he does give him enough of a trump card to still be better. Not Kyle Sloter level good. I mean, you can even argue that he's not bringing more to the table than what DeAndre Johnson is for the generals, maybe even Jamar Smith for Birmingham. But again, I think just I'll take Tiamo over the rest of these squads. Philadelphia Stars two and two. Unfortunately, we won't have Brian Scott back. Case Cookus is not a liability by any stretch of the imagination. But once you start looking at some of these defensive statistics, Stars look a lot like the single worst defense in the league. They do their defense no favors, you know, in terms of time of possession and what they're trying to accomplish on offense, which. You know, points win football games. Time possession doesn't win football games. I'm not arguing with that. But when you take away the best version of the offense, which has Brian Scott under center, it's tough for me to think that the Stars are going to be consistently winning these shootouts down the road. Now to our bottom three teams. Number six, the Houston Gamblers at one and three. Clayton Thorson, once or twice a week, he makes a great play where I'm like, maybe I'm wrong on this guy. Maybe he can be a little bit better uh, than i have been giving him credit for. And then you look at the stats at the end of the game, and he's got like 125 yards passing again. So, yes, they were pretty close with the breakers last week. Oh, my God. 523 yards to 155 for Houston. I just think Houston, you know, the defense is mediocre. The offense has hit a couple big plays, but just hasn't gotten anything together consistently yet. So I am mostly fading the Houston gamblers. And if you wanted to put, honestly, the gamblers, ahead, I mean, b- behind the Panthers, I do think uh, you would have reason to do so because the one and three Michigan Panthers literally just needed a 21-yard field goal to get back to 500 last week, but kicker's going to kicker. So, paxton lynch again out of the picture but once he is healthy enough to return i do think we'll see a slightly better version of this michigan panthers offense the worst team in the league is the pittsburgh maulers though oh and four tough to be anywhere else Look, they've lost these games by 14, 7, 24, and 8 points. So, you know, if that's going to be any indication of week five and the odd number of weeks, maybe we expect them to get blown out. But just realize at 0 and 4, like, I don't think they're going to be winless throughout the entire year. They have been competitive in two of their four games. I think against, you know, probably the Houston Gamblers this week, spoiler alert, they could uh, get that 0 out of here. So, those are the 1 through 8 power rankings. Again, can catch the full article on PFF.com. But hey, everyone, let's get to DraftKings DFS preview. Again, as I say every week, the injuries and the inactive lists are like the most important things you need to look at here because we'll see situations like this week, Tampa Bay Bandits, wide receiver, Derek Willies. He was looking like the number one guy to potentially go for this week, just 3,000 on DraftKings. He led the team in snaps and routes last week. I like Jordan Tiamu in the spot. He's not even active. He's going to be on the inactive list, which gives us opportunity elsewhere. Same thing is going on with the running backs, the quarterbacks rooms. You need to look at the USFL Twitter accounts before you set your lineups. I did make a USFL Twitter list that only has those accounts, as well as my guy Cody Main over at Establish the Run, doing more USFL content and just about anyone um, other and you know, he's Cody's an equal. He's a great guy. He was over here on this podcast before. You guys know I love Cody, so no reason to rank us. Um, but anyway with the twitter list it just has the teams on there go through it on friday before the first game is on friday this week so don't wait till saturday to set your lineups and then just go through check those injuries and make sure that you know who you think is going to be active is going to be active i mean jamal moore was probable last week he winds up being inactive before the game starts so can't stress that enough and just quick apology on tuesday's pod i broke my own rule didn't wasn't wasn't good enough to uh, review all this stuff that i'd gone through excuse me monday's pod and i mistakenly didn't realize that tj logan was cut from the New Orleans breakers. So hand up my bad on that. We've watched the film. We'll continue to get better. So all that in mind, let's talk through the quarterback position and some injury situations. Last week, Jamar Smith seemingly active only in emergency capacity. We heard before the game, like a report had come out that he was going to be out there slinging. It wasn't meant to be. Alex Magoo, though, might just be the starting quarterback in Birmingham. Like, Jamar Smith is the fantasy QB1 overall this year, but I don't think they care. Magoo was the week one starter with Jamar Smith in there. I could see him continuing to work off the bench or at a minimum start splitting things up with Alex McHugh. I will be fading this Birmingham styling situation unless we have complete certainty that Jamar Smith is inactive. But with this illness, I mean, if you look at the Birmingham injury report, they had like 10 guys dealing with this last week. You would think that everyone is feeling a little bit better this time around. With the Houston Gamblers, Kenji Bajar continues to be sidelined with the hand injury. Like He's been out two straight weeks. He was stealing a couple series away from Clayton Thorson before then. I don't think Thorson has enough upside to get too much tournament exposure anyway. But if you're going to, uh, make sure Kenji is at least out first. Because the way Thorson has been playing, I think if they actually had a backup quarterback there in Houston, they could trust he might have uh, gotten yanked a long time ago. Philadelphia, um stars, QB, Brian Scott, continuing uh, to be out for the foreseeable future with that knee injury. Case Cook is still the official Philadelphia QB1. Panthers quarterback Paxton Lynch mentioned mentioned this before, but he will be out once again with the ankle injury. Shea Patterson tentatively expected to take every snap, but the Panthers did sign ex-Pittsburgh QB Josh Love, who was actually impressing uh, with a shit ton of big-time throws during the first two weeks of action when and when, they were, when he was getting more of a chance in Pittsburgh. So, if Josh Love is going to be active, I would refrain from riding with Patterson and DFS, maybe gonna do that anyway. So um, shout out to PF's own Dwayne McFarlane always you know making his handy dandy utilization report for me. You can find that over on the article. But yeah, just a quick look at Dwayne's work, if you can catch on the screen. My lovely YouTube subscribers out there as well. But yeah, Jordan Tiamu, Kyle Sloter, and Clayton Thorson have been the only three quarterbacks this year to participate on at least 90% of their team's dropbacks. Shea Patterson has been close, but with Paxton Lynch and Josh Love, it's tough. DeAndre Johnson got the first start last week, but Luis Perez was not out of the picture, played well enough to think that they're going to continue to roll with multiple quarterbacks with the Stars. Again, it is the case. Cook is shown now with Brian Scott out of the picture. Styling's are a bit up in the air with Jamar Smith and Alex McGoo and i believe that covers just about everyone so now to our plays i will be paying up a quarterback this week taking the top two guys on the salary scale in jordan tiamu at 11.1k and kyle Sloter 10.8k tiamu we got more rushing upside than anyone other than DeAndre johnson and i really do think that could come in handy against the michigan panthers league worst pass rush and pff grade Sloter he's just playing like a different position. Like the upside in this new Orleans passing game is so much higher than anywhere else around the league. He's now facing the new Jersey generals league, worst defense and PFF coverage grades. So with Tiamu, you know, Derek Dillon, Rashard Davis and tight end uh, Cheyenne O'Grady are going to be the top options. Again, Derek Willis is inactive, so if you're going to use Tiano, feel free to stack with Dylan Davis or O'Grady. As for Slaughter, Jonathan Adams is the number one in New Orleans. Like he's at over 90% routes. After him, we have Sean Poindexter, Johnny Dixon, and Taiwan Taylor splitting things up. They're still all over 60% in their own right, and there's this. The pie is so big in New Orleans, like for potential production, that we can live with a slightly lower route rate compared to other teams. Just realize, out of that group, Adams, Poindexter, Dixon, and Taylor, I mean, the breakers have made it clear, and they are right to do so, that Adams is the clear number one there. Favorite fade is going to be the quarterbacks involved with the Stallings and Stars game. Maybe Case Cookus gets going, but, you know, last week, he really didn't do too much other than hitting two great, downfield four vertical throws one of which was a little bit of a broken coverage that's fine and i, I hate when people take away a player's big plays and they say well what they do otherwise so i don't want to fall into that trap i would just say that i'm not sure he's going to have that same sort of opportunity to look downfield against the stallions aforementioned league best pass rush so cookus he had he has the lowest average target depth in the league right now just 5.7 yards maybe he is going to be able to just pick apart this defense underneath you know take advantage of all the blitzers going at them, So I don't hate going with some of the wide receivers in this Philadelphia offense because I think they're going to be throwing the ball all over the yard. But with Cookish, just facing that pressure, I can see a lot of sacks being taken and really this offense not doing more than enabling one or two fancy relevant receivers. Also, we'll be fading Jamar Smith and Alex McHugh this week just until we have more clarity on that situation. Over at running back, keep an eye on this star's backfield still. Matt Colburn, second week active after missing time with that knee injury. He did play far more than before. So Paul Terry, while he remains the lead back in Philadelphia as long as Darnell Holland sideline with the ham- hamstring injury, it's less of a lead than we saw two weeks ago. So expect Paul Terry to still be the lead back if Holland is going to miss time again. Uh, but Colburn would be more of a 40-60 uh, backup running back. So not as in on Paul Terry as maybe we were a week ago. If Holland's going to return Turn the picture, full-fledged three-back committee in Philadelphia. With the Stallions, Jordan Jordan Chun played for the first time all season last week, immediately got re- released afterwards, and then they went ahead and signed Bo Scarborough, former Alabama and former N- NFLer. So, man, like, I'm not saying Bo Scarborough is going to immediately take over, but going to Birmingham, like, being a big name, it's – Reason enough to be worried about C.J. Marable and just how big of a lead he's going to have on this backfield. I mean, when we saw Chung Kelman last week, only played a couple of snaps. Really seemed like more of a hindrance to Tony Brooks James than anybody. But now with both Scarborough in the picture, like we knew Jordan Chun wasn't really an issue. We kn- know that Tony Brooks James isn't really an issue. Scarborough could be so if Scarborough is going to be active this week, CJ Maribel is someone that I'm not going to be overly exposed to in DFS land. If Scarborough is still out, feel free to load up on Maribel, he'll continue to have one of the league's largest roles. Otherwise, New Orleans Breakers running back TJ Logan released last week, seemingly an injury issue because he was dealing with that foot injury, opened up Jordan Ellis for a true every week workhorse role. I would note, though, they signed running back Anthony Jones, who was on the inactive list last week. So again, this is why it's so important to look at these inactive lists before the game because Bo Scarborough, Anthony Jones, if these guys are active, Jordan Ellis and accordingly CJ Maribel won't be as good a play's. With the Houston Gamblers. Honestly, Mark Thompson is probably the more sure bell cow over Jordan Ellis and CJ Marable at this point. Dalen Dawkins was out last week. Houston released a damn injury report. Like, you don't need to be the only team in the league. I think there was another one, too, like not releasing this. All they did was put the inactives out there, and Dalen Dawkins was on it. So I'm not positive if Dawkins is actually hurt or if it was just a conscious decision to take him out and put in Devois Whaley. But Whaley's kind of been known as this running back wide receiver hybrid. And accordingly, he was like in a deep, number two well behind mark thompson and even in place of dawkins so i think whaley and dawkins like whoever's active is going to be kind of just that 20 25 percent snap rate scat back in the offense either way mark thompson remains the bell cow i like his odds of getting back on track after getting shut down by that birmingham defense last week and finally, this one's important, Tampa Bay Bandits running back BJ Emmons, officially questionable with the thigh injury. Now, they released these official designations, and then they put some players on the inactive list afterwards, so it's kind of a good tell as to just how questionable they are. Then again, we had Jamal Moore listed as probable last week and wind up not playing. So you never really know in the USFL, but with Emmons still on the active roster, I would say he's more so on the probable side of that questionable tag. Either way, though, I mean, if you look at the Bandits on the season, Emmons has been the guy but they have not been afraid of trusting um Juan Washington uh, a bit more than I think people might have expected on the season Emmons just a 53 to 47 overall lead in snaps he does lead in terms of rush attempts and targets as well but it just hasn't been a situation where like Washington is completely outcast he actually leads the way in uh, rushes inside the 5 yard line as well as 2 minute snaps so Washington, he's more of just like a pure backup. Like they're fine using him on all three downs. And there hasn't been another running back in Tampa Bay to get carries or snaps all season long. So, you know, best case scenario is Emmons is just out and Jawan Washington's the only active running back. Seems a little unlikely, but there's a real chance that Emmons is active, maybe more of an emergency capacity, more of a clear number two capacity. And we see Jawan Washington hardly leave the field for a Tampa Bay offense. We're expecting to have plenty of success this week. So with all that in mind, Again, you can check out Dwayne's specific utilization report, but I just want to go through these backfields again, real quick. Cause real quick, because I'm going with the guys that are the most likely to be in two running back committees and be the workhorse there. Again, talked about this a little bit already, but with the breakers, Jordan Ellis at 8K remains the clear-cut lead back. Just make sure Anthony Jones remains on that inactive roster. But even then, like we're not talking about the same sort of threat that TJ Logan was. With the Houston Gamblers, Mark Thompson, 7,100, my number one running back of the week, regardless of who's going to be active with them. And with Tampa Bay Bandits, I love Juwan Washington at just 3.9K with B.J. Emmons banged up. So we have some higher-priced players this week, at quarterback, and we'll get to some of the wide receivers, obviously with Ellison Thompson as well. So Juwan Washington at 3.9K makes a lot of sense this week. Other backfields that I'm not completely out on necessarily again we've talked about kind of the potential to be back in depending on how some of the actives and actives turn out with that said looking more like either evenly split two back committees or full-fledged three back systems first off the philadelphia stars and that is if holland returns should be three backs between him matt colburn and paul terry even if he doesn't though i do think we could see this continue to trend towards more of a 50 50 split between colburn and terry with colburn getting more healthy with the stallions Scarborough's Scarborough is healthy. I really think he's going to be a threat to both CJ Maribald and Tony Brooks James. If not, you can put Maribo up in that uh, recommended play group with the Maulers. Gary Groschek has been the lead back more weeks than not over Madri London, but they keep flip-flopping kind of on a week to week basis. And on the season, like, yeah, it is a two back backfield, but Groshek is 57%. London's 43%. And they're usually all over the field. So they have leaned on Groshek more inside the five. If you want to go with Groshek, Or London, I would give Groshek the lead, but it just hasn't been worth it this year. Groshek is the PPR RB11. London's only the RB15. It's a two-back backfield, which we can live with, but the offense is so bad. Now the guy has a sort of touchdown upside that we see elsewhere. So largely, we'll be staying away from everyone this brutal Pittsburgh offense, other than our guy, Trey Walker, who came through in a big way last week with the Generals. This is another two-back committee that's just problematic because of other stuff going on in the offense. Like Darius Victor keeps saying Ian," and keeps scoring all the goal line touchdowns, even though Trey Williams has better usage. They seem to kind of turn the offense over to Victor last week, which, which makes sense. Like, again, we're calling him Muscle Hamster 2.0. The guy's a bowling ball. I understand why they want to keep him more involved. But even with that, we got DeAndre Johnson taking a ton of carries for himself, particularly near the goal line, and even, you know, the USFO version of Debo, Cavante Turpin playing this wide receiver running back hybrid role and stealing, you know, fantasy friendly touches in his own right. So again, maybe Victor keeps getting this wild touchdown rate going, but I do wonder how much of a ceiling he has, despite this being the most run heavy offense when there's not one, not two, not three, but basically four guys consistently involved in the run game. And finally, with the Panthers, it's just a complete full-fledged three-back committee. I mean, no one played even 40% of the offensive snaps last week between Reggie Corbin, Stevie Scott, and Cameron Scarlett. Yeah, we did see Corbin back-to-back weeks. You know, he's busting big runs. It was an 88-yard touchdown run last week, and he's making up for having a pretty low snap floor and even lower receiving um, usage. But it's just such a bad offense. I don't think the Panthers are a team that we can rely on week in and week out to be setting him up for these fantasy-friendly goal line opportunities. So unless they're really like, if we see Corbin all of a sudden go play 60, 70% of the snaps and merge the workhorse, I'll get behind him. I'll start betting on that talent. But right now they continue to want to use Scott and Scarlett in just all over areas of the field. And I can't bet on Reggie Corbin just continuing to break off one of these monster runs every game. So I will happily be fading him on likely enhanced ownership with him balling out over the past two weeks. Wide receiver and tight end stars wide receiver Brendan Eagles remains on an inactive roster. If you do want to go with Case Cookis, or in my opinion, what you should maybe be doing is just looking more at the wide receivers and even tight end, who's basically a wide receiver involved in Bug Howard, Jordan Sewell, DeAndre Overton, Bug Howard, and Devin Gray, big four pass game options for the stars. We saw Maurice Alexander and Chris Rowland give us some uh, production earlier in the year, but no, right now Suell, Overton, Howard, and Gray are the guys to know for Philadelphia. With the New Jersey Generals, they just don't pass enough to really be in on any of these guys other than kind of Kavante Turpin, only because he does get all the rushing stuff. But just realize Jamon Moore with that hamstring injury, he seems to be getting close. He was listed as probable last week, ended up being inactive. Right now, Darius Shepard, Kavante Turpin, and Alonzo Moore are in three wide receiver sets. I do think Alonzo will be the odd man out if Jamon is healthy enough to come back. Michigan Panthers, Jeff Badette was dealing with his hamstring injury. He got released. They signed Ishmael Hyman, but he remained on the inactive roster. Even before this, Lance Moore, Devin Ross, only two guys we can actually somewhat get behind in this Michigan offense because of all the tight ends they keep involved. But even then, I mean, we've just seen Shea Patterson basically nuke any chance of getting a consistently fantasy-relevant wide receiver out there for the Panthers for New Orleans. Wide receiver Chad Williams with a thigh injury doesn't really matter. He it doesn't really matter. He doesn't really profile as anything more than number five wide receiver in this offense at this point. Just realize Jonathan Adams, clear cut number one receiver. They are putting him over 90% routes now. Johnny Dixon, Sean Poindexter, Taiwan Taylor are more rotating as number two to number four options. So, Jonathan Adams, we are riding it, everyone. I don't care if he has some enhanced ownership. You know, people may be realizing that he's the best player in the league. I'm expecting, you know, I was saying this on one of Cody's tweets. Um, earlier this week obj 2014 rookie stretch i think that's on the way for jonathan adams he's blown up in weeks two through four didn't weeks two and four didn't do anything in weeks one through three i'm not i'm not thinking he's a boomer bus guy i think he's going to be a take the hell over every single week kind of guy i have not seen anyone flash the sort of talent that jonathan adams has throughout this year so far Pittsburgh Maulers wide receiver, Bailey Gaither um, on the inactive list with an illness. Bailey was playing a lot more earlier in the season and looked like the number one also got Jeffrey Thomas still inactive with the hamstring injury. So if Gaither comes back, I would be worried about Trey Walker continuing to be used as heavily as he has been over the past two weeks, 17 targets and 229 air yards in week four. Like that's why the main thing with Jonathan Adams and Trey Walker, like I'm fine going back to well with these guys because we have such clear evidence that their offenses are about them ahead of the other players if it was an offense you know kind of like Birmingham where they have three guys pretty consistently involved and maybe we just saw the number three option pop off for a week that'd be one thing Maybe a bad example because I think Victor Bolden's taking over the Birmingham uh, wide receiver room, but he's another play. Like, at this point in the year, we can be more confident in guys emerging as the number one pass game option as opposed to trying to mess around with the number two, number three wide receivers just because their snaps and routes aren't that different. So, in my opinion, Jonathan Adams, Victor Bolden, and Trey Walker looking like the top three biggest target hogs at this point in the year. Houston Gamblers, T.O. Redding was inactive. Again, we didn't get injury information, so it's unclear if this was just a personnel decision or if he was actually hurt. Because he was inactive, though, we had JoJo Ward end up playing in every down role uh, for this offense. So, with JoJo back in the picture, he looked good out there. I mean, his touchdown, he made two dudes look silly, and then did like a back handspring, backflip thing in the end zone, just, you know, dripping with athleticism the entire time. Uh, But with this offense not being great, and then if Redding returns, uh, you do wonder if Ward's going to have that same every down 100% uh, route rate. Tampa Bay Bandits. Yeah, Derek Willis had the best, you know, under best beyond the box score metrics of uh week four. Uh not sure if he's injured, but he is now on the inactive roster, so he is out either way. If you do want to be stacking Jordan Tiamu with anyone, you should be looking at Derek Dillon, Rashard Davis, Vinny Papali at wide receiver. Also mentioned O'Grady at tight end, but it's I don't mind going naked with Jordan Tiamu in uh DFS because we know how much he runs anyway. And it's just tough in Tampa Bay. They rotate five to six wide receivers a week and multiple tight ends. Birmingham Stallions tight end Kerry Angeline is uh, looking questionable with an illness. He was out last week and Sage Surratt actually posted a 92% snap rate and a 94% route rate. So Surratt is someone that we actually can get behind because if they're going to be running a route on every single snap, it's hard to be too upset. And he is dirt cheap on uh, DraftKings. Just make sure that Angeline is indeed out of the picture. And finally, Panthers tight end Marcus Ball. Questionable with the hand. doesn't matter. They already promoted Ryan O'Malley to the active roster should continue to have multiple guys featured throughout the week. Check out the article on PFF.com for some extra utilization stuff from Dwayne. But mention some of my favorite plays already. Jonathan Adams, Victor Bolden, and Trey Walker, my top three favorite plays of the week. And then just to try to get as many targets and guys running routes as possible, Devin Gray, Jordan Sewell, and DeAndre Overton. And I would also put in Bug Howard there from Philadelphia, just being guys on the field that are going to have a chance to see five to 10 targets in case cook is during any given week. So love that love John again, Jonathan Adams, Trey Walker and Victor Bolden. I think if you can squeeze those guys into the same lineup with help from that Jawan Washington price cut, you're going to be in a good situation. Favorite fades. these, number two to number four highest price receivers i just don't think they should be there i mean we still have freaking um quincy his last name is really hard to say like the dude that hasn't played in the usfl all freaking year for the michigan panthers is still like you know priced at eight thousand on DraftKings. so not exactly doing uh the closest i think uh um you know not not exactly putting the magnifying glass the usfl prices looks like for the DraftKings price makers but isaiah zuber like last week he looked like the number two behind jojo warden there's such a low ceiling Clayton Thorson. I know Zuber was scoring a lot of touchdowns earlier in the year. I think I don't think that would be something that continues throughout the year. So I'm fading Zuber. Osiris Mitchell. Third highest price receiver on the slate. He was the number three wide receiver for Birmingham in week four. You can see why maybe paying up for him isn't a good idea. And then Lance Lenore, like if Josh Hernsmeyer gave a single fuck about this league and was doing his air yards model, I'm guessing he would have been redacted by now. So it's just so tough with Shea Patterson. You know, Lenore was someone that we were going back into well with in weeks three through four. You would like him to break out. I mean, you know, NFL DFSers, we were all waiting for Robbie Anderson to break out and make good use out of all this stuff going the right way for him last year year. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. So Zuber, Mitchell, Lenore, I will be fading particularly at that price point that could lead to enhanced ownership. So I'll try to look a little bit more at the final ownership numbers, but to me, it makes sense that people I think, naturally are willing or trying to spend as much salary as possible. So easy way to avoid that is to really not give a shit about the salary, make, make some more contrarian lineups and just realize how mispriced everything is that I think people are going to be trying just to needlessly go up to Zuber, Mitchell, and Lenore because they can, but they really shouldn't be. Cheap punts if you need them. I mentioned Sage Sherratt, 94% route rate, just 2,700 on DraftKings. Just got to make sure Kerry line is again out. Michigan Panthers wide receiver Devin Ross, 83% route rate last week, 3,500 on DraftKings. And the Maulers wide receivers, Brandon Mack, 100% route rate, 3,900. Trey Walker, 100% route rate at 4K. So I would say in tournaments, if you wanted to fade Trey Walker, I just, 17 targets doesn't happen by accident. So that's why I'm skeptical, but weird things happen. It's not like we have, you know, a season's worth of seeing the Maulers conveying the Trey Walker I can see pivoting off Walker for Mac. just a $100 price de- uh, difference. They were both on the field at the same time. Maybe this week's opponent really tries to shut down Walker uh, more so than last week. So I still do think Walker just has a double-digit target uh, potential. But hey, if you want to get a little tricky, Brandon Mack might be your pivot. Week five best bets, nine, six, and one on the season. Briefly dipped under 500 last week. Got that four and finish. So let's get another one. Why the hell not, people? Michigan Panthers taking on the Tampa Bay Bandits. Bandits, two and a half point favorites. Game total about 33 and a half. You know, Michigan should be two and two if their kicker could make a 21 yard field goal. Again, you kickers made uh, such ruckus about these balls being different. And that was a problem with week one. Have seemingly only gotten worse uh, since then. So just absolutely, you know, week by week, Abysmal display by the kickers, but whatever. The, the league's actually making a lot of kicker and punter changes, so apparently they aren't happy with it either. Either way, with Michigan, I mean, even though they were just one field goal away from being two and two, they got to the beat up on the league worst mallers and then the backup quarterback led stars. So I do think Tiamu and company are just a little bit better than one of the, than these kind of bottom four teams in the league, bottom three teams in the league, I should say. So I'll take the Bandits at minus two and a half. Think this uh, to- think this spread should be up a point or two. New Orleans breakers in the New Jersey generals breakers favored by three points game total at 36 and a half. Like, look, it's the generals, like them running this run first offense has worked because they've only given up 35 combined points over the past three weeks. I'm not so sure that's going to continue when he got to try to keep up with Kyle Sloter and company. I would not be surprised if Kyle Sloter and the Breakers go over 30 points in this one. They had over 500 yards of offense last week. They just had a bunch of weird shit happen that prevented them from putting up more than I believe it was 23 points when everything was done. When everything was done, so if they can get out to a quick lead, I think that's going to put the Generals out of their comfort zone. I got the Breakers minus three. I think this spread should be at least a point or two higher. Birmingham Stallions versus the Philadelphia Stars. Birmingham sitting at six point favorites. Game total at 35 and a half. I'm going to go with the Stars plus six. I just don't know that Birmingham is that dominant at this point. They continue to win. Not necessarily all that pretty. While I think they'll still be undefeated this time next week, I'm not so sure they're going to blow out the Philadelphia Stars. They've only won one of their games by more than six points. While the Stars don't have that good of a defense, I think having Magoo and Jamar Smith potentially just taking away the momentum from each other—maybe you say momentum doesn't exist—but there's a reason why we haven't seen you know teams consistently in the NFL use two quarterbacks like I think Birmingham might be might end up doing now that Jamar Smith and Alex Magoo are both healthy. So with the offense, with which, let's face it has sputtered in consecutive weeks, but that offense not looking great. I think the stars can do enough to keep this one close. I'm taking the stars plus six. And finally, the Pittsburgh Maulers versus the Houston Gamblers. Gamblers sitting as five-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total of 33-and-a-half. Give me the Maulers plus five-and-a-half. And honestly, I think the Maulers get their first win of the season here. I just don't think the Gamblers are that good. They haven't had a game decided by more than seven points. So, to an extent, they are playing with their competition. But I just can't, you know, can't overstate how brutal it was for them last week, you know, despite and despite keeping it close again. So, maybe this is a sort of get-right spot Clayton Thorson and company need. We did see that happen with another bad team, the Michigan Panthers. You know, they look pretty bad against everyone. They play the Maulers. All of a sudden, they look great. So with that in mind, though, I just think the Maulers plus five and a half are good enough. Maybe now Kyle Luletta having just the full confidence the coaching staff behind him if you can say that uh just could be enough to cause some problems for clayton Thorson and company who i don't think are nearly good enough to be favored by five and a half points uh, by anyone so giving the maulers plus five and a half they covered for us last week it wasn't easy but they got there here's the hoping they get there again so top four picks only four picks of the week bandits minus two and a half breakers minus three stars plus six and maulers plus five and a half so that's gonna wrap up this edition of pff fantasy football podcast hope you all have enjoyed this usfl season as much as i have and we'll be back here on monday to break down everything that just happened again check those usfl twitters before you make a lineup just to make sure you know who's going to be in or out so i'm ian harditz thank you again for tuning in and until next time take care everybody